14 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. Now, Izolo, we had an opportunity to uh, take a look uh, in the context of Freedom Day at uh, some of the debates around uh, housing, human settlements, the location of these human settlements, modernization and upgrade of informal settlements, uh, and some of the, I guess, um, systemic market and government failures in the provision of the right to shelter to all South Africans and um, uh, some fascinating conversations we had yesterday and uh, unfortunately Songamelo Aliklayesha and we were unable uh, to continue beyond 9pm but uh, I guess it continues to be a sad story I mean this housing backlog um, uh, 2021 article suggesting that if the Eteguini uh, city municipality for instance uh, continued to build homes at the rate that it does it would take 100 years to clear the backlog. Uh, and you know the population and uh, migration patterns don't stop in that moment. Uh, so effectively what you're chasing is a moving target. And uh, this evening we continue with part two of that conversation. We dedicate a bit more time to it uh, just because of how important a matter it is. And uh, joined once again this evening by Nkosikwana Swartboy, Head of Advocacy and Organizing at the Social Justice Coalition. And uh, also joined by... Uh, uh, Gote, who's the president of Abashali Basim Chondolo. Yesterday we were joined by Tapelo Mohapi, who speaks on behalf of uh, Abashali. And uh, let me take this opportunity and greet you, Smoo, and uh, congratulate you on the Swedish Per Anger Prize for 2021. Uh, we've got to make sure, my brother, that uh, we also uh, recognize and we see your work here at home. Thank you so much. I am really humbled and, and honored uh, for this wonderful opportunity, but obviously for the Peenga Prize. Awesome stuff, man. Well, and we're also joined by the uh, Deputy Director General for Project and the Pro- Program Management Unit at the Department of Human Settlements and Water and Sanitation, uh, Joseph Leshawane, who joins us again this evening. Uh, Joseph, good evening to you and uh, welcome once again. Thank you very much, and good evening to the listeners and uh, the uh, president. Awesome stuff. Kosikwana? Very happy we can proceed. Kosikwana, are you well, my brother? Um, thank you for having me again today. Goska cool. DDG, I mean, we left off on a very interesting note yesterday, which was the informal settlement upgrade program. And uh, I know, uh, you know, Usbu uh, would have been briefed by Tapel and would have certainly heard our conversation uh, on our podcasts um, and uh, would have made sense of where we are. So maybe let's let's start off on that point, because I do think that it has some relevance to what I want us to talk about. And uh, we'll also touch on issues of social housing, uh, but also uh, the politics of the space uh, that we are discussing uh, today. Uh, Bob Joseph, you were touching on, I guess, this being a program of the South African government in situ upgrade and modernization of informal settlements. Uh, for somebody who didn't hear us yesterday, what, um, you know, what implications does that have for somebody who is you know, in an informal settlement this evening listening to us? Thank you very much. Uh, just to recap, the informal settlements upgrading program really seeks to look at each individual informal settlement and begin to not displace people, but rather upgrade the settlement so that it's livable, it has infrastructure, it has security of tenure, people can own portions of land in there, but also that health and livelihoods are supported and sustained. Now, 
this obviously aims at all the informal settlements across the country. There are some, as I said, that can be upgraded mm. in situ. However, others that are on precarious ground, river banks, under power lines, dolomitic areas, would have to be resettled in on alternative land. So that is the program, and this year marks the beginning of um, the introduction of the dedicated informal settlements upgrading partnership grant, which places emphasis on community partnerships in the development of those informal settlements. Mm, mm. Let, let me bring in Sbu on this one, because Sbu, the issue yesterday was, uh, and Tapelo certainly raised this uh, um quite passionately yesterday, that effectively a lot of these designs and plans that are being done about informal settlements are occurring at the express exclusion of organizations like yourselves. Talk to us about that. I mean, is that your experience, that your uh, over 80,000 members are effectively excluded from these processes that unfold in their backyard? Oh, yes. Um, I just want to um, greet uh, Comrade Gossikona and the Deputy Director, Yes, um, um, I just want to say that the uh, narrative about the informal settlement upgrading program, the institute uh, uh, institute upgrading is uh, a wonderful uh, program that um, uh, we appreciate. And of course, on papers, uh, it has good intentions, as the deputy director um, is saying. However, the reality on the ground, um, first of all, there is no consultation with communities whatsoever, even with organized progressive groups or grassroots organizations like Abashali, um, the, um, you know, the local government uh, has no intention and not willing to engage communities on this program. So the sad part of it is that communities do not know um, about this program, mm. and uh, it is an intention of the local government, you know, to keep people um, not knowing about uh, this mm. program. Mm. So the failure of, of, you know, the government to engage uh, the communities meaningfully and the failure to invest on social, yeah, social investment in terms of um, making sure that communities really are engaged and they understand, they participate fully on this program, has rendered it um, as a failing uh, a program once again. Otherwise, um, I had an opportunity to work closely with, with the pro- program. It is very uh, good in terms of its, of its intention. But also to say that the local government uh, is not willing to implement this mm. program. Their priority is actually to relocate people mm. rather than to upgrade. President, so th- this has been our experience. I want you to pause on that point because I think you're raising a very critical point, which is a, uh, you know, TDG and IGR issue. Uh, and when we come back, Kosikwan, I want to, I want us to talk about this because there, there's a lot of uh, tussling here around what becomes the domain of responsibility of uh, Joseph uh, sitting in the national department and the domain of responsibility for many city administrations or even provincial administrations uh, that are charged with some responsibility in the housing, water and sanitation value chain. And we'll continue with this after this. It is indeed uh, 23 minutes. It is now after 8 p.m. I'm in conversation uh, for this discussion uh, f- uh, for Freedom Month on housing. And uh, when we speak about housing, I guess uh, we speak about it in a very consolidated view that includes 
you know, not only uh, just uh, building top structures for people, but effectively locating them in communities where they can find economic opportunity. They can live, work and play. Um, you know, in vibrant communities, vibrant post-apartheid communities, um, and of course, also resolve some of the critical backlogs in uh, the provision of water and in uh, uh, sanitation infrastructure as well. And uh, some of the issues that uh, Smoo was raising before we went to the break, Smoo uh, Zigote, president of Abasali Basim Chondolo, uh, is the sense that, uh, you know, the policy formulation in at a national level, seems to be something that uh, is, is, you know, something that resonates. This idea of in-situ upgrade and modernization uh, to where people are, where they've chosen and opted to go and live. That's where you go and you bring the services to them rather than hoping you're going to fl- uh, sort of throw them on the margins of the city. Uh, and it seems there's a bit of a logjam because many of the municipalities, like the one that you are in now, the city of Cape Town, is uh, probably singing off a different song sheet from the national government uh, when it comes to uh, how you think about this. Uh, so interesting study over the last day or so that uh, the bulk of social housing projects in the Western Cape have been on the periphery. Uh, so you have a fifth of the entire urban population in Cape Town alone, urban population in the country being in Cape Town. Uh, and yet, you know, the CBD... Uh, you know, probably only 10% in Cape Town of uh, the national social housing projects that have been developed there and very few actually where it matters. Uh, Talk to me about some of the tensions that this gives rise to, this disjuncture between national and city level and even provincial level planning and execution. Yeah, thank you for um, that, Ayabonga. Um, And congratulations again um, to Combat Smoo. Yes, yes, I've realized that. The, I think, I think the, the question of IGR is not divorced um, from the question of how cities get funding. So it is that funding that comes with obligations mm. in terms of, um, you know, how national government is brought into conversation with regard to the city's spending pattern. Um, and, and we're seeing less of this happening. If it, if it is happening, maybe it is happening behind the scenes without... Um, the vast majority of South Africans know it. You know, there's a, there's, there's a reason why South Africa moved um, or changed the housing department into becoming um, human settlements. Um, because where people live matters. Um, the location, especially in, in, in cities, in South African cities, where we have a deep and violent um, history of dispossession of particularly black and colored people, um, that the, the, the location of a home um, dictates the quality of life that one gets exposed to. And I spoke extensively to this yesterday, saying um, there are areas in South Africa or in, in, in these cities where, particularly in Cape Town and Kempsey, the former white-only areas, basic services are not, are not up for debate. But still in South Africa, the, the, the black townships are still having to fight over getting um, the most basic mm. things like getting water um, and also clean running water and, and a safe toilet. And, and the pandemic that we find ourselves in is also not divorced <clears throat> from um, the accessibility of these services. That if a woman has to leave their home in the evening to access a toilet, that places them in vulnerability um, of, 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 of being exposed to criminalities. We know South Africa is, 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 is top I'm one of the top countries where China-based violence is mm. um, 
And so these things are not divorced in terms of where people are staying. Because where people are living, um, you know, the, the quality of life is then determined by the location, geographic location of their home. And now when are we going to see um, the implementation of IGR? Um, and, I'm, and I'm happy that you raised um, this point about the IGR and also maybe um, the, the, the gentleman from the minister's office can clarify what um, you know, roles or obligations mm. um, does national government have on cities specifically with regards um, to the provision of water and sanitation mm. and human services? Because I'll tell you for a second, the last development that we saw in Kailita or in the black townships um, of homes being built was around 2007 or 2009. Mm. Ever since, we have not seen government in the past 10 or more years building housing for people. And we now are, you know, are starting to become um, surprised when we're seeing lots of people coming out um, in their numbers to occupy land mm. because they don't have a secure tenure. And this, our government, in all levels um, or spheres of government, we are failing to address these questions sure. in terms of the intergovernmental relations and who gets to hold who to account. Yeah, yeah. Because the city of Cape Town also gets funding directly mm. from the national ministers, national human settlements um, um, departments. And what is it that the national human settlements is doing sure, to ensure sure. that the spending patterns are observed and also um, you know, the city is held to account with regards to mm. not meeting its constitutional obligations. Thank you so much, Gosekwana, for that. And, and I'm going to bank that question that you were asking there at the end around, uh, you know, IGR and sort of marry it to the issue uh, that you're raising on the resource flows. Because I do think that the distribution of authority, functions and powers between the different tiers of government also determines the flow of that money uh, and effectively also raises some of the issues that SMU was raising earlier of dysfunctional structures of participation and engagement at a local level. Uh, and DDG will come back to that issue. I just want to ask Smoo something quickly uh, in relation to some of the issues that uh, that are being raised by Ngosi Kwana. Smoo, the one issue is around, I guess, structures of participation and input into the process of um, the upgrade of uh, informal settlements. And I think the other element I want to maybe hear your views on is around this issue of tenure forms and tenure relations. Um, you know, I mean, as a community, as an organized formation in many of uh, the informal settlements in our country, what is your view around the kind of tenure that you think would be ideal in an upgraded and modernized informal settlement? Of course, it wouldn't be informal, but uh, a modern settlement built on the back of an informal settlement. Are we just talking about title deeds or should we be thinking about something different? Yes, um, I think you're raising a very critical point. Um, we have had a series of uh, serious discussions around that because um, we know that uh, the issuing of title deeds uh, places uh, poor people at a very high risk of being repossessed. I mean, mm. they can actually have those um, title deeds, but hence um, our jobs are not secured. And of course, many people are unemployed, so it is risky um, to have the individual titles. Uh, so what we have concluded as Abbasali is to rather think of a, a very collective kind of um, tenor, where a, a communal type of um, tenor, mm. where the community would um, have a, a collective title, so that it is not uh, placed on individuals. So if you decide to leave, for instance, you would be free to leave and you, you cannot sell it. Um, again, that is in line with our 
principle of really trying to decommodify land. Uh, and of course, uh, I know that uh, it's a big question um, to talk about decommodification of, mm. of land, especially the property. <clears throat> but what we think could work for the poor communities, and of course, which will encourage collectivity over individualism, uh, which will save many lives. You would know that if people were to be given these titles, then they are at risk of returning the very same properties to the banks and other institutions um, um, uh, when people own it individually. Mm. But again, it, this is also in line with the kind of a society that we want to create that puts the collective people first. Yeah. That's what yeah. our democracy from below teaches us. Sure. That we rather own it collectively so that it is safe. Um, um, and then we would have some form of um, a trust that will bind mm. Uh, you know, a collective ownership rather than mm. individuals having to have this type of... Yeah, yeah. Let, let me bring the DDG on that. And the DDG, uh, I mean, it's an interesting formulation that uh, SBU and uh, the uh, members of Abashali have developed there. And I must say, I mean, it does address a lot of the concerns I've had in debates around the land reform program and this idea that private tenure or title deeds are the panacea. Uh, because in a financialized economy like ours, you know, they open up uh, many, you know, cash hungry but asset rich people up for exploitation and, uh, you know, the dispossession of their assets. But but before we get to that, Ngozi Kwana raises a very important point around the IGR framework and he poses a question to you uh, around the clarification of who is responsible for what in the value chain of the development of vibrant and livable human settlements. Um, and I think that's, that's a very important comment because the distribution of functions, roles, and authorities will also then, of course, influence and determine the distribution of uh, financial resources. Certainly. Um, the, the constitution of the republic makes housing a concurrent function between national and provinces. Mm. And where it's deemed so, the municipalities uh, would be accredited to perform that function. Now, obviously, in terms of the law, then that segregation or division of powers and function is such that national sets policy, determines programs, but also funds those programs and monitors their implementation. Now, here comes a very interesting piece. There is no flow of funds to any province or municipality until we have scrutinized their delivery plans and approved them. That happens every year without exception. Now, when that is, in, when that is done, the minister almost every quarter, if not more often, convenes a structure that is called MINMEC. Basically, the minister meets with all MECs, mm and uh, representatives of the municipalities to deal with those delivery issues and delivery trends. And make no mistake, the policy deviations that um, I, I hear about colleagues raising here, yes, we've, we've seen them and we've confronted them as and when we see them. And that's why that structure becomes such a powerful structure because it takes corrective action where it needs to be. But also, it's important also to know that 
when the funds flow to these provinces or municipalities, they flow with conditions, and mm. those conditions are a matter of public knowledge because when Parliament approves the budget, the division of revenue, mm. it contains all those conditionalities. Hey, but I DDG, you know, th- those the, tables at the end, we need to do some civic education. Those tables at the <laughs> end is where all the rich information is, but they're so confusing and they hidden there at the back. Look, I follow follow that, but the intention is not to hide, but it's to put it out there. So, But the the point that uh, Sbu is raising, which we've observed as a weakness, that you do have weaknesses and gaps in community engagement around Mm. these developments. Now, that is why you will see in this new grant, we require that the municipality or province puts on the table the upgrading plan that's been agreed and produce evidence that indeed there was consultation with the affected communities. Mm. That's one way of strengthening the policy intention because quite clearly it is not possible, and I stand on this one, it's not possible to upgrade an informal settlement without the true and honest participation Mm. of those who live there. It's not possible. So the grant... The policy then requires that all of that be done before funds can be availed. Of mm. course, I must admit, we, 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 we are taking cue from the lived experiences of different organizations. The good thing here is that we, we are in conversation with the different uh, non-government organizations here. So this feedback is what we continuously mm. get, and it enriches our sure, programs. Sure, sure. Your view on the tenure issues that Wu is raising? Look, I'll have to, and I suppose we'll have to get into uh, that proposal so, so, in So, so in I think Ernest. it's important, and I'll tell you why I say it's important. Often in the last few months or so, in the last few years or so, there's been a big sort of push for politicians to go out and say, we gave X amount of title deeds, we did this, 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 this. And a lot of it really prioritizes title deeds as a particular form of tenure. Um, Just any view, have you had debates on this issue inside of the department? And if so, what is the nature of those? Certainly, there are debates, I must admit. One, as things stand, the title deeds are recognizable tenure and probably the central tenure option outside of the communal uh, land holding systems. Now, the debates are around how about you introduce an interim recognition of rights to the land, which would mean that before, while you are waiting for the long haul of the title deed to be registered and all of that, recognize the rights and document that administratively that person A lives here and therefore that person is recognized as a citizen, as an occupant of that piece of land. Now, those interim arrangements is what the land reform process now is seeking to deal with. You would have seen the presidential advisory panel made a number of those recommendations and that's what cabinet accepted. And now um, the, that tenure administration is what is now the current occupation with land reform. 
as well as mm. uh, other stakeholders in this. So, but I find this proposal that uh, Subu is advancing quite uh, attractive. Mm. But we'll have to look at the pros and cons because okay. let's admit it: for some people, it works to have outright ownership, and of course, they have the full fullness of ownership, and they can do as they see fit. Mm. But mm. the communal security, for me. Yes, it does sound attractive. We, it's something that is worth looking into. Sure. Okay. I want us to pause here for a second and take a quick spot break. But last week, Smu, I want uh, to maybe hear some of your perspectives um, on what uh, the DDG has raised. And I've also got a, a big question mark in my mind. You know, when we talk about these upgrade plans, uh, how much localization are we talking about there? Um, uh, or are we opening ourselves up for a situation where <coughs> everything from a pipe to a tap you know, to even, I guess, what's needed for a top structure on some of the land uh, in situ is uh, going to be imported material. We certainly wouldn't want that. And we'll come back to that theme All when right. we come back. 16 minutes it is before 9 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. I'm in conversation with Ngosi Kona Swartboy, Smuzigote, and uh, Joseph uh, Leshabane uh, from uh, the Social Justice Coalition, Amatlali Wasim Chondol, and the Department of Human Settlements and Water and Sanitation, respectively. And uh, President uh, Zigote, let me come to you. When you hear the DDG speak, I guess, of... Um, you know, upgrade plans, the conditions they set for cities and how they spend, you know, some of the partnership grants that come to them. Uh, A question mark comes to my mind around localization. I mean, when we're talking about building human settlements, we're talking about materials we can touch and feel. And I have a question around where some of those are produced, who is producing them, and effectively who is involved in the build process and the prospects of getting community involvement around that. Some of your thoughts, Azabatali, on that? (coughs) Uh, yes, um, I mean, first thing to mention is the failure of uh, the so-called community participation. It is very disgraceful uh, for many of us. We see municipality vehicles labeled uh, public participation, and we do not know what that office uh, is doing, mm. uh, whether it exists or not. Uh, they, that, that one is just completely fake. Um, the second thing would be the political interference in terms of the allocation of housing and um, when councillors get involved and the political party structures, for instance, you know, putting their nose uh, in the whole scenario of, of the allocation of, of housing. So what becomes problematic in all of this is that as communities, uh, we have never seen or heard of a housing allocation um, uh, policy uh, that is open, that is democratic. Uh, we've never seen um, of the criteria, um, um, the housing allocation criteria, for instance, mm-hmm. that, that, that is open and transparent. But also the housing list. I mean, you hear a lot uh, in the city of Cape Town, you know, municipalities uh, talking about list and those who are jumping the queues and all of that. And we ask ourselves as communities, where is this list? How do we know whether our names are there or not there? And then if communities were part and parcel, even of monitoring that list, <clears> if it ever existed, and, and, and municipalities were open to work with, you know, progressive uh, organized communities, would be in a position to say, whenever there is a particular project and people are allocated, mm. we all think uh, that uh, so-and-so, you know, has been allocated. I mean, out of 10 people, we know that at least 
Now two people, you know, um, are still waiting to be allocated. But mm. all of them continue to talk about queue jumpers and people who are really, um, you know, taking government uh, uh, back. So these are some of, of the issues. All of this is in line with, you know, the, the, the housing policy mm. and, and its intent. Um, you would know that in terms of the breaking uh, new ground, for instance, that a house has to be seen as an asset. Uh, it has to be seen as poverty alleviation <clears throat> mechanism. Uh, there has to be skills transfer and skills development within the whole sector of housing. But also it, 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 it needs also to be some form of um, security against potential corruptions that we see when you know houses become shoddy uh, because suddenly the cements have gone missing and all of that. So the voice of community is missing in all of this, which then opens a can of worms uh, for corruption and for, you know, um, as I mentioned, the political interference, and you do not know where, uh, who's really in charge. And, and, and that, that's the kind of mess that we face at the local level. And then the lack of monitoring from the national um, office uh, side. Uh, we don't see any oversight to an extent that we do not even know uh, where to report, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, potential corruption that, yeah. you know, would happen in these uh, 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 situations on the ground. Sure, sure. Goskora, let me bring you in there. I mean, uh, just on, on, on the issues of, I guess, meaningful participation, but the integrity of, you know, the processes of housing allocation, the planning cycle, uh, and also, I guess, to the question I'd pose to Spoo, um, the economic relations. I mean, you know, this is could potentially be a very lucrative exercise for contractors, but the big question marks is how many of those contractors are coming from the communities where some of this work is actually happening? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I completely agree with um, Comrade's sentiments. Um, the thing maybe to just add there, Pete, is that um, in some instances, there are times where government is forced to meaningfully engage communities. I mean, what ends up happening there, Ebong, um, is that even if communities are, are, you know, are in the process, are involved in the process of selecting a contractor who to be running a certain project in their community, mm. the 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 oversight part of it also becomes important. That it it should not, the owners should not only lie with with, with government. That there should be a space for communities who are the intended beneficiaries of 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 those services to be able to say. Um, the contractor is meeting its service levels agreement or not. And this is something that we have been doing, um, particularly in Cape Town, <clears> through social audits, comparing um, what is on paper, a contractual agreement between, um, you know, government and, uh, you know, a private company <clears> and a service <throat> provider to check if those services are really meaningful. And I think the question of meaningful engagement, does, it, it should not only be limited to conversations in around plans, it will also include the oversight um, that um, communities should have in holding those mm. who are providing services to them accountable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, I want us to pause here for a second because I, just on that point of accountability, I mean, I'm always shocked how little accountability happens in what is called the Municipal Public Accounts Committees. Uh, you know, uh, we don't know who sits in those at a local level sometimes. And in some cases, we don't do enough to read the reports they come out with, which have some very horrid tales of contractors leaving the site, 
uh, you know, of uh, public consultations not being done properly and communities effectively pushing back on that. Um, and I think a lot more attention both on the side of government but also, uh, you know, organizations or Klala should uh, be focusing on some of that as well. We'll take a brief break. When we come back, uh, DDG, I give you uh, an opportunity, I guess, to uh, engage with some of the inputs made by Nkosikwana and Smu. And we also get some closing remarks and reflections on how we bring together the uh, prospects of having livable, integrated human settlements as part of our project of freedom. Stay tuned. Eight minutes it is before the uh, top of the hour. And uh, yeah, uh, having freedom conversations, talking about uh, uh, how we build uh, human settlements we can work, live and play in, uh, in our country within the context of uh, the tasks of upgrade and modernization of informal settlements. Uh, Partido Jamela out on Twitter saying a certain metro here in the Eastern Cape, which is dysfunctional and has got the fourth qualified Auditor General's report in a row, does not want to implement this grant and uh, approved by their own CM and also its development agency is doing the same thing. And uh, just uh, DDG, as we get your reflections on what Ngozi Konans have been raising, uh, just uh, your reflections on that. I mean, is that true? Can a metro decide that they don't want to be part of the partnership grant with yourselves uh, around the effective upgrade of informal settlements well not 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 necessarily because in any case the the municip- none of the eight metros for example have registered disagreement with the policy nor mm. the grant itself so as things stand on monday incidentally we were reviewing all of the plans from all the metros um so there is there's been no such indication really but secondly i i think i must also confirm that as a country we are faced with phenomenal urban growth and therefore that requires policy clarity and i think we've got the clear policy in that respect it also required certainty of funding instruments around this, which mm. we've now introduced. The real issue that we must all confront is clinical implementation, so that we implement these programs in a way that is intended, in a way that is um, targeting the real trouble spots. And when I say trouble spots, areas of need and disparation. Um, I can confirm that there is not a single project that is funded by the state that does not make provision for community participation and mobilization. Mm. And I think there lies what we must zoom into and correct. Uh, Secondly, I think the questions around integrity of allocations have been with us, and the minister took a view and directed that we introduce a national needs register so that all the people in the republic who have a housing need can be recorded there so that when we design projects, we are responding to a defined need. Now, this compromises or rather um, corruption in allocations it's something that we frown upon and where we have uh, information, we've acted on that, even including law enforcement um, 
processes in that regard. The last part that I must submit and uh, point out is really that you had asked a question about what do these plans do from a point of view of localization. Mm. Now, these plans are supposed to be generated bottom-up, grassroots upwards, so that the people say this is the development we envisage here. But it has to then upscale local innovation. When I say innovation, there are incredible examples around the country where in informal settlements you found that communities have innovated on different areas. So that has to be taken into account. And lastly, the material supply and the contractors, the policy of procurement is simple, it's clear, local is preferred, but also not only just local, but transformed local that is Mm -hmm. inclusive. So the policy is quite clear. That's why I'm saying the task at hand now is to make sure that we have and can attain clinical implementation. And I think uh, my colleagues uh, in the uh, from Abasali, but also uh, Social Justice Coalition and others have been the voices that ref- give reflection and lived experiences as to what is working, what is not working, and what can be done better. And the department has always taken into account and embraced those um, mm. views and sure. suggestions as they always come. Okay. Gosikwana, some of your closing remarks just on this issue, um, you know, broadly around freedom and uh, building the kind of settlements that we want. Yeah, let me take this opportunity to maybe just raise um, two things um, that I think are important um, now that I have an opportunity of engaging the, um, the, the gentleman from the minister's office. It, there's a 600 million rental relief um, that uh, Minister Sisulu announced in the budget vote speech um, that the department planned to allocate towards rental relief um, to tenants in affordable housing facing um, you know, financial distress due to COVID-19 pandemic. The funding you know, was aiming, uh, aimed at um, tenants in formal affordable housing. Um, and, you know, so, so, so there's this money that is not accounted for um, that was aimed at um, giving relief to tenants and also landlords. Mm. Um, it, it has taken that civil society organizations such as the Funaukwazi, um, Reclaim the City, um, the Social Justice Coalition and others to put a petition out that was, that was also endorsed and signed by the former UN Special Rapporteur for mm. Housing, um, Leilani Farah, um, to say that um, there must be something said about where this money went um, and, you know, accountability in terms of who benefited from that. Um, the second point I'm wanting to, to, to just touch on, recently the SAPC is, is, is going to be selling its building mm. that's located in Seapoint. They're auctioning I mean, that building, which has been vacant since 1996, um, despite the calls that have been made by mm. activists um, in Cape Town to say, um, you know, those um, pieces of land in empty government buildings must be used sure. um, to realize the constitutional obligations that, um, you know, um, government has in okay. relation to providing well-located houses. I like that. Go to the corner. Let's give Smooth the last word there. I like that. Why Saunders? Why Saunders? Smooth, last word, my yes. brother. Yes, no, thank you so much. Uh, I just want to raise three last points. Oh, uh, three last points, Smooth. Uh, two, maybe. But also urgent. Two, maybe, President. The provision of basic services. 
um, um, and uh, you know, white people waiting for permanent homes. I think it's very. Oh, we're gonna have to leave it there, folks. That's the end of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, big thank you there to my guests, Smuzigote, Joseph Lishabane, and Kosikwana Swartboy. Yes, I share up again those of our Galenji Galanga. Sirutiwa Gombona Gutubela and Nangoku, Siai Banga, Lay Economy.